A few years ago, I was um, I had the chance to um, teach in um, Switzerland, and we were in a, you know in a place like this. Um, I think in the Jura mountains that like this, not the Alps, but mountain, mountains like this. On a day a little bit like this, and I was sitting here, you know, um, maybe in meditation or waiting to give some instructions or talk about the practice. And uh, suddenly there started this uh, very beautiful music, um, um, Balinese, like Indonesian uh, music. Ding dong. And I was sitting back thinking, wow, that's amazing. Somebody n near the center is playing uh, um, Balinese music. I don't know if you call it like this in English. Uh, and I thought it was absolutely lovely, delightful. And later at the meal, I was uh, with manager or some of the staff, and I was talking, and I was saying, do you know who lives in the area that uh, plays music like this? And they're like, Pascal. You're in Switzerland. These are the cows. <laughs> they have bell. <laughs> and so they go, ding, dong, ding. <laughs> and I thought it was amazing, uh, amazingly beautiful uh, uh, Indonesian music. So this week here, on the first day, I'm sitting here, and I think waiting for us to start or something. And then I hear... Uh, Mm. I'm like, somebody's phone is vibrating. <laughs> I'm like, is it my phone? No, my phone is <laughs> not here. Somebody brought their phone, it's vibrating. And then I'm like, oh, these are cows. <laughs> They're not vibrating phones. So, what does that have to do with the Dharma? <laughs> Everything because uh, this is a slight, uh, we would say in French, anodine, benign, uh, trouble with perception. Uh, it doesn't, uh, it's, it's kind of fun when you discover this. It's lovely, it's sweet. Uh, yet, the problem of perception uh, in Buddhist um, uh, teachings is very much central. How we perceive things uh, is at the root of our suffering, and so, um, you know, I'll name just uh, a few things. Feeling, do you have the perception, sometimes perceiving things as you feel separate from what you should be or could be or from the world or, you know, kind of a little viable, um, little consciousness isolated, uh, we could say kind of against the world, you know? that it's viable, but it's going to require a lot of strategies and a lot of fighting to actually survive. Do you recognize something? You might have not thought about this exactly like this, but it might have been a kind of an impression you have. There's me, isolated consciousness, and there's the rest of the world, and it's slightly against me. Or, you know, not the perfect match exactly. Or it's rubbing one against the other. I don't know, am I alone in my little world again? <laughs> uh, kind of an existential uh, problem, you know. The, so it's a perception, it's the way it, things are perceived at that moment. They're perceived like there's a little I, it really exists, and they keep talking about death, you know. So that's a lot of bad news, because what happens at the moment of death, you know, after death? If it stops, it's freaks me out and if it continues it freaks me out also because <laughs> I don't know am I going to come back in something else and what is it going to be and you know so so there's uh, difficulties around this and we might discover in the course of practice uh, that actually whoops this is just an appearance it appears like this it's perceived like this the Buddha talked about uh, perception using the image of a mirage, how things appear. Let's get a little less existential. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, this sucks. You know, it appears, mirage, as this sucks. You're like, no, it truly sucks. <laughs> I've been here for enough hours now to confirm it sucks. <laughs> and yet, 
we've seen perception change, yeah? and suddenly it's like, oh, I love it here. I wish I had you know, time for a longer retreat. It's too short. The sit is too short. <laughs> and so perceptions have this quality, like the rest of being ephemeral, changing how I appear to myself as a piece of shit or as somebody worthy. You know, it's kind of fluctuating perceptions. And many of our perceptions, actually, we don't question. We just uh, take them as a reality, like a complete description or, or reality itself. And so here, in the course of practice, we start to actually uh, notice the changing nature of uh, sensations, of moods, of uh, thoughts, types of thoughts, and the changing nature also of perception, how things appear, you know. Like, for example, this retreat might uh, appear like it's never-ending. Well, at some point, you'll figure out <laughs> that there was an end to it. <laughs> it was just the perception. It felt like it was never-ending. Yet, at some point, whoops, it's already gone. You know, and this is quite. There's a lot of freedom to be gained in this, but to gain freedom there, we need to be very, very attentive to um, what's happening as it's as it's happening. And so, to back what I'm saying with something powerful, I'll use my computer, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll go on the internet. And whatever is going to come out is going to be true. <laughs> Let's see. You've got emails. <laughs> um, so there's this, uh, this uh, sutra. So sutra is a, is a teaching from the Buddha. So at the time the Buddha was teaching, he taught from... Um, I get mixed up sometimes. From the age of... Um, is it... Uh, well, anyway, he taught for 40 or 45 years. I can, never can't remember the exact... 40 or f- that's, a, that's a lot of decades of teaching. You imagine? He's living in the, the countryside, a little bit like here. Just less maples. <laughs> less maple trees. Uh, less cows, maybe. Or maybe as many. But uh, and he, he moves around, you know. Sleeps here in this forest and here goes to the, uh, this village by this well and this, uh, by this river one night. And over 40 years, he has several conversations, little gatherings, three, four people around the well, a hundred people in the deer park near, uh, near to uh, the city there, Varanasi or Sarnath. And he has a conversation with people or he, somebody asks a question. And then he gives some uh, wise teachings. And so the sutras are um, recordings of these conversations and teachings. And so how it happened is that there was always an entourage around the Buddha, some of his dear friends. One of them was there for a long, long time, for maybe 25 years, Ananda. And he had an amazing memory. Actually, he had mindfulness, when the Buddha was teaching, he was not like... <laughs> you know, he, he was actually tuning in. And so it was much easier, much easier to remember what was said because he was really there, you know. So Ananda was really uh, often around and was listening very closely. So when the Buddha died, all the followers and practitioners gathered together and they, they said, what, what did he teach, you know? And they said, well, there was this night, I remember, and somebody was, I was there too, that's true, this is what he said. You know? And for hundreds of years, 500 years, these teachings were um, passed on orally. And now apparently the scholars are telling us that uh, oral transmission is much more reliable than written transmission. Because there was many, many people learning what was said that night, and they would uh, pass it on to others, like this, and they could check. So, surprising, enough for us? Uh, and so, and at some point, 500 years later, it started to be written down. And so today, we have thousands 
Because you imagine three, four conversations a day over 40-some years, how many little or big teachings there are. And so here's one of them. Um, so this one is called, uh, the title of this one uh, that they, uh, they gave to it, because you'll see it, um, maybe it's in the text there, I can't remember exactly. But uh, they called it uh, an auspicious day. And what the Buddha did, like other spiritual teachers of the, at their times, they took the um, kind of uh, what was the in the culture and the beliefs, uh, and they gave they gave it a twist. Huh? They said, "Well, this what you think this is is actually something else." And so this uh, discourse or teaching is called an auspicious day, because maybe at the time we would think that an auspicious day was a day where this star was aligned with these stars and the moon was in this angle and this and that and this was a really auspicious day. And there might be still uh, people who think that this is auspicious when <coughs> the stars are aligned in this particular way. But the teacher, uh, Buddha, the Buddha, uh, a revolutionary teacher, uh, came, was coming in and was saying, let me tell you, what is an auspicious day? Do you really want to know what is an auspicious day? It might not be when the stars are aligned in this or that way. Let me tell you what is an auspicious day. And then you go on Google, <laughs> you type an auspicious day, and it appears. <laughs> and so, I don't know who's talking here. It might be uh, Ananda, who's recalling what happened that night. Huh? It's like, after the death of the Buddha, we are there at that gathering. And so somebody said, I have heard that on one occasion, the Blessed One, the Buddha, was staying at Savati, at Savati in Jetta's Grove. Uh, this is Anatta Pindika's monastery. And there he addressed uh, the crowd. It's, I'll, I'll, I'll do some little free translations here. Uh, then he addressed the crowds and he said, um, he said, hey you, hey guys, <laughs> hey you people, uh, practitioners, maybe we can translate it like this. And they said, yes. Uh, they responded, yes. And the blessed one, the Buddha says, said, I will teach you the summary and exposition of one who has an auspicious day. Listen and pay close attention. I will speak. So it's very kind of very, it's very oral. It's very real. You know, it's like, hey, I'll tell you what is an auspicious day. Tune in, please. And uh, the people listening, they say, as you say. And the Blessed One said, you shouldn't chase after the past or place expectations on the future. What is past is left behind. The future is as yet unreached. Whatever quality is present, you clearly see right there, right there. Whatever quality is present, you see right there, right there. Not taken in, unshaken, that's how you develop the heart. Ardently doing what should be done today. For who knows, tomorrow, death. There's no bargaining with mortality and his, uh, his mighty horde. Whoever lives thus ardently, relentlessly, both day and night, has a truly auspicious day. So says the peaceful sage. So what is he saying? Let go of the past. <coughs> Don't be hooked by stories of the past. Let go of the future, thoughts of the future. Be really attentive to what's happening here now. Really attentive. Know what is happening here now. Do this with really great care and uh, diligence. Do this morning, afternoon and night. Be aware of what's happening right now. This, if you do this a one full day, this will have been a very auspicious day, a very lucky day, a very 
precious day. So, et voilà. And then he goes on, he says, um, just, I think, uh, yeah, let's, do you, shall I continue a little bit? Because, you know, so, uh, what do they say? Oh, and he continues, he says, and how does one uh, chase after the past? You're asking me? How does one chase after the past? One gets carried away with uh, delight, thinking, in the past, I had such a form. And he's using here a very, very classical uh, Uh, Buddhist psychology uh, um, ways of describing our experience. So he says, oh, in the past, I had such a form. In the past, I had such feelings. In the past, I had such perception. In the past, I had such thought fabrication. In the past, I had such mind state, etc. Do you recognize this? We can easily be like this. Like, oh, I remember last summer, you know, we were by the pool. You know, I had such a body, and we were feeling so so, so great. We were, we had such mental states. You know, and we keep and so he says that's how one gets hooked. And how does one not chase after the past? Well, one does not get carried away with the delight of in the past I had such a form, in the past I had such feelings, in the past I had such perception, etc. And how does one? Uh, place expectations on the future. Well, one gets carried away with delight in the future. I might have such a form. In the future, I might have such feelings. In the future, I might have such perception. In the future, I might have such thought fabrication. Maybe we don't think exactly in these words, but very similar. Oh, in the future, I hope I'll feel like this. I hope this will happen to me. I hope I'll be perceived like this by others. You know, and we can, this can take a lot of our mental space, a lot of our time, of our precious time. And here he's saying, this is not a lucky day. When you're doing this, that's not <laughs> for your benefit. It's not an auspicious day. It's actually looking pretty bad. <laughs> If that's what you're doing, it's going to turn a little sour here or there. You know, you'll get caught in this, you know. And so he goes on. This is the, also the oral tradition. Huh? We always go through everything completely like this. And so he goes, and how does one place expectations on the future? Well, one does not get carried away with delight. And in the future, I'll have such a form. In the future, I'll have such feelings. In the future, I'll have such uh, perceptions. In the f future, I'll have such consciousness, such uh, you know, qualities of mind. Now I'll try a little something and we'll get into it here. And so he says, And how is one taken um, in regard to present quality? He says, There is the case where an uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person, so that would be us, who has, um, who has not seen the wise one, has not, uh, is not versed in the teachings of the wise ones, has not trained in the teachings of the wise one, uh, they see form as me. They see pos uh, uh, as possessing form, as form as, as self, as uh, in, in, uh, form as uh, self inside the form. They see feeling as self, possessing feeling, feeling as inside self, or self as inside feeling. Do you recognize some of this? Do you know? Do you feel like you're You're the body, or maybe not, but maybe you're inside the body, or maybe the body is inside of you, it's your, or it's yours. Maybe not you, but yours. Or maybe let's take emotions. Emotions, of course, they're inside of me. Or I'm inside a lot of this emotion right now. I'm, <coughs> feeling, I'm caught in that emotion. I am in there, or it's in me, or I am this emotion. It's me, generosity. Mr. Generosity, it's moi. <laughs> you know, so he's saying this. And then he's saying, and how is, not, is one not taken in, taken in, caught, uh, uh, duped? And, what, and how is one not taken in with regard to uh, present qualities? There is the case where 
a person has trained uh, in the teachings of the wise one, etc. And he says there, uh, this person uh, does not see feeling as self, or self as possessing the feeling, or feeling as inside self, or self as inside the feeling. And then he goes through all the other things, perception, forms, all the different aspects of our reality. That seems complex, does it? Or simple? Well, <clears throat> so this is one uh, thing that I want to bring here that I find to me so... I think just not to me, I'll, I'll go through this being here, but uh, so powerful is the kind of um, attention we bring, what we call mindfulness here, is a particular take on reality. Mindfulness is interested in reality, not in the usual way, like this is all about me, my knees, my body, my feelings, my thoughts. And, um, and I suggested this earlier in the retreat. When we bring mindfulness, it's not so much so about me. We go, we take another view, another perception. We're actually studying human nature. So do you see how we move out of the me and we go towards more like studying phenomena, the different phenomena of life. A little bit like maybe a scientist would, would do, neurologist would do. Huh? He would say, oh, that's not you. It's the fight or flight thing that kicks in. Do you see what I mean? It's like, oh, no, no, that's why you ran away when this happened. It was not so much you, it was that kicked in in the brain, you know, or this, you know. I was talking to a friend who's a, uh, um, how do you say that in English? I think you say um, child psychiatrist. And she was saying, yeah, I use that language with the kids often and they, they get it. This, and they'll, they'll say, you know, oh, I told my mom, me, it's not me, it's my brain <laughs> that does that. You know, they understand this. They don't take it personally. If they took it personally, they would be in big trouble. But they are able to recognize, mom, it's not me, it's my brain, you know. <laughs> my brain does that, you know, and get obsessed with this or it, uh, whatever it does, you know. And so that's the, the angle here. It's, it, I think it's an important information for practice. And so this has a word, actually, it has a, a word in, uh, in Pali, in the language, uh, let's say, at the time of the Buddha, the, the language that at least the, all the teachings were recorded in. In Pali, it's called Dhamma Vichaya. Dhamma Vichaya is translated by investigation of phenomena. And so it's a very different angle when we sit here. When we sit here, it's not... My pain in the knee, it's pain as a phenomena. The phenomena of pain. The phenomena of calm. The phenomena of agitation. And so, when the Buddha here, when it, in this translation in English said, uh, he, she, they don't take um, form as self, or feeling as self, we could maybe uh, talk about this in terms of... Uh, we not identifying with uh, every event that happens. You know, tiredness happens. And so, even in this tradition, and in English, that's how I learned to practice, what we'll do is we'll use language to help us um, uh, release some of the clinging in the form of identification that we have around events, thoughts, emotions, sensations... And we'll remove the I when we actually describe experience. And, uh, so, uh, and, and when you hear this, you might think, oh, it's like detachment, it's dissociation. It's not at all, because we actually come very, very close. Mindfulness comes very close to experience. It doesn't remove itself. At least how it was taught to me, <coughs> taught to me is that mindfulness goes in the heart of events but maybe with a different view, perception, than usual. And so, instead of saying, I'm hearing uh, vi vibrating phones <laughs> all over the fields, <laughs> I'll remove the eye and just say, oh, hearing is happening. Hearing is happening. Oh, calm is present. Oh, there's a lot of calm here. Oh, there's a lot of agitation. <gasps> There's a lot of struggle here. 
oh my God, there's so much struggle in this heart right now, in this mind. So there's a recognition of what's happening. There's a capacity to feel it completely. So it's not detached. Once, uh, in the language, once uh, subtle way we talk about this is, so people will sometimes say, teachers will say, it's not detached, like disconnected, not caring, indifferent to, as if detached would kind of could mean this. We'll use more the language of not attached, not clinging, not identified with. It's very, very subtle, very delicate, uh, tricky little switch to do in the heart or in perceptions but it's extremely relieving. Can you, maybe even, maybe some of us might even feel it in the language, in the presentation of it, like, oh, I, I get this, you know? So I'll be sitting here, and breathing is happening. I'll just remove the eye, and I'll notice that breathing still happens. And it's not like I'm up there watching it, it's in the middle of the experience, breathing is happening. Oh, heartache. Oh, joy, spaciousness is present. And so in this way it becomes Dhamma Vichaya, a study of phenomena. So it's not exactly about me. It's about human nature. I'll put it this way. It's more universal. It's more and so in this way there could be... Um, I'll put, uh, give you an example. When I started the... Uh, teaching or anyway in the past you know people would say to me oh Pascal you did this this was um, you know this uh, there was a lack of consideration lack of, lack of respect when you said this or this was um, unkind and I would take it very personal huh? I would be identified with unkind like what I'm, no I'm a kind person and I'm not an unconsiderate person and, and it was making everything very complex you know <coughs> And now what I see with the development of practice is somebody will say, Pascal, you said that, and, and this was, um, you know, this, there was a lack of consideration. And I'll, I'll think, oh, was there a lack of consideration? Let me think, oh yeah, there was lack of consideration. I'm so sorry, there was, lack, there was at that moment, lack of consideration. Do you see? If I'm identified, it means something about me. And if I'm not so identified then it's a little easier to even take responsibility. It seems a little um, paradoxical, yet it actually works. You know? um, I actually remember one time my uh, teacher Joseph had done something, or not done something, anyway, I was really hurt, and I came to him and I said, Joseph, I can't believe you said that, or didn't say that, or didn't think that, you know? and that, so that's pretty much the example I'm describing. He stopped, and he looked and said, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I'm so sorry, Pascal. Let's uh, phone this person and tell him that. Like, let's fix this, you know. And, and I was in front of him. I was like, he should feel guilty. He should <laughs> suffer. And I was a little confused. I was like, but he's admitting. <laughs> but he should suffer right now. <laughs> and he's like... I'm so sorry, it's true, this, this was really a, a you know, failure on my part, or a lack on my part, you know. And I could see, could totally recognize the situation, he had a lot more coolness to look at what was actually going on, and access to probably a lot more honesty, and a better way to assess the situation, than making it personal in this way. So there was the phenomena of, uh, you know, having forgotten something that was important. You know, this was a phenomena, something that ha does ap happen in nature, you know, or in human nature. And so, um, and so, uh, yeah. So there's a there's a series of um, qualities that um, there's many ways to present them, but uh, there's a series of qualities that can uh, be. Um, uh, almost presented as a domino effect. And that might be one place here where you want to tune in because it's really talking about uh, causality in terms of uh, well-being. What causes what to find well-being? And so in the teaching, in the Buddhist teaching, in Buddhist psychology, and what the Buddha taught, 
he says, when we bring attention <coughs> to something, uh, a, a really uh, clear int- uh, attention to something, so mindfulness, it will become in time dhamma-vichaya. It will make that quality arise, that, uh, that uh, being really intrigued by reality. And so we'll go from being just attentive to what's happening to me to what is actually happening outside of the me vision of things, you know? Oh, there is, I don't know, distress. There is hearing. And so Dhamma Vichaya is this particular quality of studying phenomena outside of the framework of it's all about moi, you know? So we bring mindfulness, it will bring Dhamma Vichaya, which will bring naturally energy because we're not going to be so caught about everything the interest the interest will r- make energy rise and so the way i see it over the years i've seen it in myself and i've seen it in students countless time and it's one of the joys of being on this path is when somebody has mindfulness and dhamma vichaya in the reporting they'll they'll say oh my god I saw my mind become really, uh, um, you know, self-righteous. But they don't describe it as personal, like, oh my God, I'm so self-righteous. I feel, you know, they'll say, like, oh, I saw the mind becoming really nasty. And they're really interested in the phenomena, you know. Wow, I can't believe that. Or self-loathing, they say, oh, I saw the self-loathing. You know, it was seen as a phenomena. It was not taken so personal. It was seen how a mind can turn against itself. And what you see is it brings energy. People describe this with eyes like this, with a smile. Can't wait for this to happen again. (laughs) You know? Before, they were not. They were identified. So it was like, oh, I don't want to talk to myself like this anymore. You know, I don't want to hear this voice or this kind of, you're a piece of shit, you know? And now people are like, oh, I saw it. I hope it happens again. <laughs> you know? How interesting is that? That it leads to energy. And so being attentive in a particular way, in a Dhamma-Vichaya way, studying phenomena, suddenly the mind will get really interested. So attention will bring interest, which will bring energy, which is already there in the room, as I'm describing this, will naturally bring joy. The energy, the investigation will bring energy, will naturally bring joy. Oh my God. I love being on retreat. It's one bad news after another. (laughs) You give me a little 30 minutes to walk and I see a lot of shit arising. (laughs) You know? And in this way, joy arises. And when joy arises, uh, agitation departs. And calm arises. And calm, and we become more steady. We stay here, attentive. So all these t- qualities are still around, the first ones that I named. We're still mindful. There's still this uh, study of phenomena. There is energy, but not too little, not too much. Just the right energy to actually be there. To hear uh, Indonesian music. or whatever else is happening and the mind gets uh, calm and naturally concentrated it's naturally it calms it's less less agitated so it it stays it's gathered instead of scattered Uh, it stays and you might have experienced this as you're doing the walking or the sitting at some point not all the time since the beginning but at some point suddenly there's just like I don't know, it could be just three or four steps in a row that happens where there's a quality of presence that is sustained. The mind is really engaged with crickets, hearing. And there's no disturbances, it's not scattered, the mind is not like, you know, it stays, it stays. And it becomes equanimous, it's steady. Equanimous means not reactive. So all these they kind of a domino effect slowly they lead one to the other they actually accumulate 
And so I'll repeat the, the and the Buddha says, maybe you've heard me, I've heard the Buddha himself, if you were around. <laughs> then <laughs> didn't get the message, still around. <laughs> That's your chance. He would say in the sutra as we read this, he would say, folks, friends, translate it as you want, you know, practitioners. In the same way that rain, that the cloud When, when it rains, the drop of water will fall in the mountain, uh, naturally inclined towards uh, uh, reaching a spring, naturally will incline downwards, going in the river, naturally will lead to the, the ocean. In the same way, attention will lead to dhamma-vichaya, interest, curiosity. Naturally will raise energy, naturally will bring joy, naturally will... Um, will calm the mind, naturally will gather the mind, <coughs> naturally will make the mind steady, balanced. Naturally, you'll be able to see things more clearly. And seeing things more clearly, naturally the mind will open and be freed. So very, very natural succession of things. Of course, when we get to practice, it's a little bit more rocky <laughs> than that. But this is the, and maybe over the course of a few years of practice or a few decades, one can say, yeah, I recognize that this is true. It's true. That bringing interest, you know, when I could, I don't want this, turning towards, and this is applicable in life, you know. I don't want that day, I don't want that conversation, let me turn towards it. I have to write this email, make that phone call, let me bring. Let me turn willingly, volunteer for it, instead of just having to. Let me turn towards it, engage with it mindfully. Let me become interested. What is it like to find the right words to express this thing that is tricky to express here to this person? You know, interested, and energy will arise. You know, and on and on, and discoveries will be made about the situation. You know, and will be able to find some freedom maybe in the situation that uh, was maybe at the beginning was oppressive or you know that we were aversive to didn't want to experience do you see how this could be applicable <coughs> and so it starts that's why mindfulness is so central in these teachings because that's the first domino for the domino effect you know so we bring a careful attention bringing a careful attention will start to study the different phenomena that are there. It will raise energy, will, will make discoveries, it will, be, uh, it will bring enthusiasm. And so it's good to know this because in a way if we're going a little bit in the wrong direction, we can reorient in some ways as we're here. <coughs> oh, instead of um, subir, instead of... Um, aha... <laughs> what? Instead of, um, you know, like instead of being the victim of a series of walking and uh, sitting. <laughs> oh no, I have to. Although, somewhere I signed up for this. <laughs> It's not clear anymore, I forgot that. <laughs> I have to walk again to actually say, let's actually do this. Let's bring the best of what's av available here, you know. And maybe with some of these little knowledge here, some of these information, oh, what would be the Dhamma-Vichaya here? It would be a way to be with this, studying the phenomena of, you know, whatever is there. It could be inner or, you know, uh, at the sense door. And so when I'm talking about this, this is a really kind of a big wholesome turn that we're making in our psyche because we're going from five hindrances if we remember way back this morning you know wanting things to be otherwise not wanting things to be like this not you know not having energy having too much energy having doubt what am I doing here why am I here so slowly we're learning to let go of these tendencies of mind these ways of being and start to we start slowly to cultivate The other tendency, bringing interest, bringing attention to, giving uh, generous attention to what's happening. And it could be just as simple as hand resting. 
And in there we could find oh, some calm can be gained. When I talk about these uh, qualities in a linear and progressive way, one causing the other to arise, it's uh, in line with the Buddha's teaching. But also we see in the teachings that it can be presented as a sisa. Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. <laughs> so there's three qualities on one side, three qualities on the other side, and one in the middle. Because this chain of qualities, there's seven of them. They're called the seven factors of awakening. The seven conditions, attitudes, or qualities needed in the heart-mind <coughs> to free it, to free the mind or heart. And so, one way to think about this, it's a different way. One lead to the other. Another way to see them arise is that we bring mindfulness. You know the sisa like this? Is that how it's... Mm -hmm. For kids, you know? One is sitting here, the other... <laughs> so here, the, 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 the linchpin, I'm making up words <laughs> that I've heard in different places in my life. <laughs> Um, so there's mindfulness here and on uh, each side we have uh, different kinds of um, qualities on one side we have calming qualities and on the other side we have energizing qualities and we learn in practice and maybe in our lives uh, at work, in a relationship we learn to actually use that as a frame of reference do you see what I mean when I say this? this is Dharma practice Dharma practice means Instead of looking at things through what I want, what, how it should be, you know, all these kinds of frame of reference, ways of understanding reality. Let me put my glasses, it's how it should be. So I'm going to live the whole evening here tonight with you, thinking of how it should be, and it's not. And I'm going to see everything through that lens. Has that ever happened to you? Or somebody, <laughs> you know... <laughs> So this is one frame of reference. Another frame of reference is like, let me see everything uh, in relationship to moi. Everything re refers back to uh, on the unit of measure, the ultimate absolute unit of measure called me. <laughs> you know, everything that happens in the world, far away, close by, is all about moi. You know, if there is traffic, it's against me. <laughs> if it flows, it flows for me. <laughs> you know? So that's one possible frame of reference. And in this practice, we learn that there are other options. And one of the other options would be uh, the two sets of qualities. Uh, the energizing qualities and the calming qualities. And so we might start to see our day through this. Uh, is there energy here? Can I invite a little bit more energy, engagement? How does energy arise? Curiosity is an energizing factor. So this is kind of crucial, I think, information to survive a retreat. You know, what can your raft be made of? You know, to cross on the other side of the flood, it could be made of curiosity because it brings energy in the mind, uh, and. Uh, and it could be made of joy, which will arise naturally when we bring uh, interest. And so, um, and so these are the qualities that, um, uh, energizing qualities. Dhamma vichaya, which I could translate by curiosity or interest. And energy, which is very closely uh, um, uh, linked to interest. And joy, which is a form of energy also. So... Energy on one side, on the other side, calming factors, calm, concentration, and equanimity, non-reactivity, like the being able to meet things calmly. Yeah. So, if it seems too much, just reduce it to two. That's how I try to live my life when I remember. You know, I keep forgetting, but I keep remembering also, and so I'm like. Oh, what's the level of calm here? It's going to be helpful in this situation. Whatever the situation is, I've tested it. Tested it. I invite you to test it for yourself. Any situation, pleasant situation, could be good to have a little calm to be able to actually feel the beauty of what's happening. Oh my God, it's so great, it's so great, we have to do it again. <laughs> well, let's bring a little calm in the picture here because we'll be able to actually feel even more deeply 
the beauty of uh, what's happening, the encounter or the moment, you know. So some calm, some steadiness, some uh, uh, gathering of the mind, unification of mind, instead of the mind being scattered, gathering the mind. These are calming qualities. So you're learning something, new job, high learning curve or steep learning curve, invite your friends, calm, steadiness, you know, equanimity, like the non-reactive mind that doesn't jump, like, no, this is not what I wanted. It stays close and bring interest. Making love, that could be an option. Bring these qualities in. <laughs> Instead of like, how do I look? How do I, am I performing? How should I be? You know? <laughs> Let's bring a little curiosity. What's happening here? How is it? Bring a little calm. You know, it's got to be helpful. I mean, I don't want to be a sex guru. It's <laughs> really not. But, <laughs> you know, family. If you happen to have a family, be in a family in some, in some ways, you know. That's really crucial. Bring a little calm, <laughs> a little curiosity, you know. And then you have to do something you don't want to do, but have to do. These could be really good qualities to bring in. One part calm, one part interest. And just see how this transforms the situation. You know, how maybe more creativity becomes available, or inner clarity, or integrity. Uh, resonance makes things uh, more resonant. Like things start to stand out. We, s- we start to see a little bit deeper, like three-dimensionally, instead of just preconceived ideas. Climate change. You know, a world that is uh, going, uh, you know, uh, bunkers. A world that is uh, falling so what should we bring? Let's bring anxiety. Let's bring reactivity. <coughs> I have a friend, uh, Rachel, uh, uh, Lewis, Rachel. She, so I was teaching with her a few months ago, and there was a, I think we were in Vancouver, it was a kind of a day-long, like non-residential, there was 170 people, I think. It was a lo- and it's, uh, it was the second day of this, and she was like, you know, everybody's trying to calm their mind, pay attention, develop all these qualities that we're talking about. And at some point, it's like, okay, now that you're calm and attentive and steady, now start obsessing about your regular stuff. <laughs> Get reactive. <laughs> you know, like she was uh, instructing in the opposite way. And it was really interesting. You know, because it was really obvious that it was not the wise thing to do. You know, it was really clear. Yeah. Okay, now stop having opinions about what's happening. And now it would be a good time to start desiring something else that is not here. So let's start desiring something else. And now let's have judgment about what's happening, that it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be happening, you know. Okay, and now a little self-loathing. I don't get this, I'm never going to get this. I suck. Okay, we're on our way <laughs> to freedom here. <laughs> no, of course we're on our way to entanglement. Huh? We can recognize this. Yeah? Mm. And so what is an auspicious day? An auspicious day, from the point of view of this uh, philosophy or these wisdom teachings, an auspicious day is a day where we actually pay attention uh, to what is actually going on now. Not in a way to analyze it so much, but to actually feel it. That's the kind of intelligence we're going for. We're not analyzing so much as being particularly present to really feel this is vipassana. This is uh, seeing deeply is when we're touched by something. And this teaching, uh, you know, we, we use the word wisdom a lot. What is wisdom? That's a good question. What is wisdom? One way to talk about wisdom, wisdom is discernment. 
discernment between what and what. I'll bring two other words in Pali uh, here. Kusala and Akusala. And these words, what they mean? Uh, kusala means helpful, beneficial, helpful for me and for others, onward leading, liberating. And Akusala means not helpful, not wholesome, entangling, oppressive. And so when we bring really careful attention to what is happening, we start to discern, discernment, wisdom. This is wisdom. Wisdom starts to know deeply from a felt sense, because it's felt in the heart, in the guts, on the skin. It's felt very clearly what is helpful or not helpful. We don't have to follow a list. Benevolence is helpful. You know, cruelty is not helpful. That's a list. But here, actually, as we walk and sit and walk and pay attention as we eat and do the mindful movement, we start to notice, really resonates, it vibrates for us. If there is self-loathing, it's going to become really clear, lucidly clear, that it's actually entangling, oppressive. Do you follow me? And if there is, uh, you know, benevolence, it might come from uh, inside or it might come from the outside, we're going to start resonating and feeling it. Wow, that's a good way to live. You know? And for me, I benefited a lot from uh, the, the way I gained some of the insight was to actually hang out with my teachers, listen to them. And their, their, their voice being um, imbued, is that the way to say it? With care and acceptance and allowing, you know, I could start to resonate and feel, ah, this sounds right, this sounds like a good way to live, a good way to be with this, you know. And we start to know it from the inside. Nothing, nobody can take this from us. This is very deep, powerful knowing. It's not knowing from I read the list, there's 52 factors of mine, you know, 37 of them are unwholesome. And, you know, I'm mixing the, the numbers here of Buddhist uh, psychology. But what the Buddha was talking about was to actually feel it so clearly inside of us that we're actually shaken, we're touched, deeply touched by the power of care, of the steady attention. We clarify for ourselves that curiosity is helpful. And so here, this is the design of the place, the silence, the time, the few days that we have, the not being busy, is in order for us to become more resonant, to actually be touched by the different way that our minds and hearts behave, and how uh, in the group, uh, you know, we uh, cultivate certain qualities or are impacted by other qualities. You know, and we make it becomes clear for us. And so when we go back home, that would be the wisdom that we would gain would be, I know now, this I know, that whatever it is for you, you'll make your own discoveries. And so here we're testing all these different qualities, and they have, you know, they show up, and we don't have a choice. You know, the worry shows up, and we pay attention. Usually we're caught in, we're not questioning, we're not curious about, we're just following worry. And now we're waking up in worry. Oh, look at that ambience. You know? Look at that world I'm born in right now, or that is alive here. You know? And if we notice this with calm, we'll notice, oh, that little bit of calm that I bring to this disturbance here is really helpful, is really vital. You know? And we start to value it, nurture it. That's how it unfolds here. Okay, let's uh, just notice what's here.
And these things can't be forced. You know, we can't demand these qualities to be there. It doesn't work like this. This work is much more humble. So we just see if any of this is available. A little measure of calm. A little part of uh, attention. Curiosity for this experience now of being here. How is it to be a human being at this point in the day? At this moment? seeing things if available, studying phenomena, the phenomena of quietness in the room. the phenomena of hearing, the phenomena of breath, Breathing. And the phenomena of mood, inner weather, inner ambiance. Tenderness, quiet, confusion. Oh, confusion feels like this. Appreciation feels like this. You don't have to make anything, it's all offered. And sometimes there's no words, it's just like this right now, exactly like this. presence or absence of calm. Noticing the presence or absence of interest, curiosity. Pleasantness shows up. Let's really taste it. Not grasping it, just being interested. Oh, pleasantness is such a particular thing. And if unpleasantness is here, oh, unpleasantness is like this. not reactive, allowing for things to come and go, to be smooth or intense, calm, equanimous. May all beings have access to these qualities. May all beings offer these qualities to the world. <coughs> 
let's see if we can bring some of a C and C to the table. Curiosity and calm. Thank you very much for your listening.